Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Great passage of scripture. And we're going to be looking in the Old Testament, but I'm going to come back later on, much later on, to Ephesians 2, because there's some really neat thoughts there, and they're going to tie in, and our scripture passage today is going to bring us to those thoughts, because we recognize we are with Jesus, and we are alive with him. For we once were dead in our transgressions and sin, but we are raised up with the living Savior. It's a blessing to see you today. And we get to study the word together. We also get to pray and we get to sing praises to our God. And that is an amazing privilege. Please don't take it for granted. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer right now. I'm going to give you a moment to pray silently. And then I I just want to continue to say we're going to pray every week for what's happening in Ukraine. And we just got to keep that committed before the Lord. So there's a lot of things that may be on your heart and mind. And you bring them to the Lord right now. And then allow me to lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Father, even the children remind us of your greatness, and your glory, your majesty. And we want to worship you right now for who you are, for what you have done. We worship you because you're a creator of heaven and earth. You are a holy God. And we worship you because you are the God who loved us and saves us from our sins and gives us life and hope and promise. But Lord, as our Lord Jesus told us, in this world we will have tribulation. And we want to bring our concerns to you and lay out before you the concerns of our heart. And we thank you that you care. Lord, we also want to acknowledge, confess our sins before you. When we proclaim you as holy, we recognize that we are sinners needing a Savior. And we come to Jesus Christ and to the cross of Christ once again. Father, please forgive us for those thoughts, words, deeds, attitudes that do not honor you. Father, we also want to raise the needs of our world before you, and I I pray in particular for what's happening in Ukraine, and it's well beyond our control, but not beyond your control. We pray once again for peace, and we pray your grace upon the refugees, those who've had to flee their homes, and those who need help. And thank you that we as a church can help in some small way, but we pray that there be many people who in the name of Jesus Christ would serve these refugees. Father, we just ask for grace for our world. In Christ's name, amen. Let's see. And maybe bring this down just the mic, just a little bit up here. Well, we are looking at the life of Elisha, and we always try to distinguish, remember, Elijah came before him, so Elisha, most of the time, I may get the names mixed up, but we're talking about Elisha, and we're talking about taking God seriously, 
And, and often we see these themes come together. And, and here's another case. We're going to look at a kind of obscure passage, but a very interesting passage that's going to help us and remind us sometimes we have problems in our world, but we have a God who cares. Now, here's what I want to do is think about serious problems, and I want you to think about big problems in your world, and of course, the, greatest, the three greatest fears of our generation, I'm going to show you a screen, there's just remind you, three greatest fears of our generation, these are generational, you know, my grandparents, they wouldn't even have a clue what that meant, right? But you know exactly what that means, because that's one of our great fears. So what's the top one? Number one, weak Wi-Fi. Wow. Wow, that's a real downer. Okay, what's number two? Slow computer. Oh, that's a terrible thing. And then what's number three? Dead battery. Wow. Okay, we all know that. We all know that because we've experienced that probably at some point, or we fear that. Now, uh, where do we find help? Forget about the greatest fears of our generation. Where do we find help? In America, sometimes, and when you have a problem within your community, you take it to City Hall. So here's a a little cartoon going to City Hall, and here's the guy bringing his problem. He says, oh no, your problem isn't too big or too small, it's just too difficult. Where do we find help for the problems of our world? So what I want you to do right now is think about this. You don't need to yell any answer out, but I want you to think seriously, right where you are, what is the biggest problem in our world right now? Think about it, whether it has to do with climate, politics, economy, finances, whatever it is. What's the biggest problem in our world right now? Now, I want you to think about what is the biggest problem in Australia right now, in your opinion, just in your own mind. What is the biggest problem in Australia right now? And it's not anybody in this room, by the way. So um, what's the biggest problem in Australia? Think about that for just a moment. Now, what's the biggest problem in your life? Think about that. Now, with those things in mind, sometimes our problems seem bigger than our God, don't they? I mean, we think about these problems, and when I say big and biggest, they're big, and they're beyond us. But what about God? Why should I expect help from God, and how should I expect help from God? Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, and I'm going to kind of lead in, introduce this story, because like I said, it's a bit obscure, a lot of people haven't heard it before, but it's an amazing story. So what happens is there's this, uh, there's this country, Moab, that's, revol that's revolting against Israel, the nation of Israel, so Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Judah has a king on the throne who's in the line of David. Israel does not. So we're right after the times of Ahab and Jezebel. So remember the wicked uh, king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel in Israel. And what happens is the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and they join up with the king of Edom, and they're going to go and they're going to teach Moab a lesson. And so that's the background and now, let me read the story to you. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read from God's Word. Beginning verse 5. 
But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But what route shall we attack, he asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord, Yahweh, here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Jophath, is here, or Saphath, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said to him, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have such respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. But now... Bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. You may be seated. Interesting story so far. It gets even better. But here's the first point. In difficult times, we need to stop and listen to God's word. So when you think about problems, problems in our world, problems in Australia, problems in your life, what do we need to do? need to stop and think about God's word. Listen to it. So as I said, the context is Moab revolts. Israel uh, is no longer receiving the tribute from Moab, and they're going to teach him a lesson. So they go in this roundabout way. So I'm going to show you a map so you see how they're coming down. So you see from Israel down through Judah, down around the Dead Sea. So you're in very deserty area, up through uh, Edom, again, desert, and they traveled for seven days. And by the way, the Dead Sea is not fresh water. You don't want to drink that. It's called Dead Sea for a reason. So there's seven days, and they have no water for the soldiers, no water for their livestock. And so basically, they're thinking, we're, we're dead. We're going to be defeated. We, can't even, we don't, can't even take care of ourselves. So they have this brilliant plan. They're going to do this backdoor thing because the defenses are thinking they, of Moab are thinking they're coming the other direction. Brilliant for one small problem, they don't have any water. Joram is the son of Ahab and Jezebel. So two of the most wicked people we know in the Old Testament, this is their son. He blames who for this, their problems? It was his plan... But who's he blamed for it? God. 
Look at verse 10 again, and we, and we see what he says there. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? So here is his plan, and then he says, you know who's at fault here? You know who's to blame here? God's to blame here. God got us into this mess. Brilliant. Let me, let me read a quote from uh, Dale Ralph Davis, and I think that's a really helpful quote, and you can, you can take this to the bank. He says, always beware of folks who cite the sovereignty of God in order to excuse or accuse, but not to worship and adore. Here's a guy whose parents worship the, the gods, the false gods of the land, Baal, and he basically now says, oh, there's a sovereign God in Israel, and he's the one who got us into this mess. And so he wants to use God's sovereignty as an excuse for his bad planning. Always beware of people who do that. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, the one who's in the line of David, asked for a prophet of Yahweh. Now, Elisha, this is kind of interesting. We don't know why, but Elisha's traveling with the army. That's what's going on. Jehoshaphat hears that he's there, and he says the word of the Lord is with him. In other words, we need a word from God. Don't just blame God. We need a word from God. Now, Elisha, when he sees the three kings come to him, and by the way, they do pay him the respect. They come to him. They don't send for him, for Elisha. He says to the king of Israel, why don't you just go to the gods of your mother and father, Ahab and Jezebel? Why, why would you even come to me? Go to those gods. Those are the gods your mother and father taught you to worship and honor. No, Joe Ram's going to blame the God of Israel. Then Elisha does something quite interesting. This is a bit strange. Did you notice that? Did you notice what he asked for? a harp player. Now, why? One of the things I'm going to do here is I want to caution us with some type of application that says, whenever we need a word from God, what do we need to do? Call for a harpist. I mean, I, honestly, I've been at this church for nearly 10 years. I've never seen a harpist in this church. So we're obviously missing something, right? Or maybe we need to rethink what this text is trying to tell us. And so it's not a matter that we have to have a harpist. But I want to think about what's happening here. And one of the things that's happening here is Elisha is now in the presence of these three kings. And there's a bunch of noise and complaining and griping. And now the whole army and the livestock, they all need water. There's this, all this noise going around him. And what he wants to do is not listen to it. He just doesn't want to hear it anymore. So he calls in a harpist. So it, it, the instrument's not the issue, but he calls in one who will play a harp, and then he will listen for the word of God. Let me give you, uh, I'm, I'm going to show you these. I have these because I travel internationally at times, and these are uh, noise-canceling headphones. You're familiar with these. I mean, there's a little button on there. It lights up. And once that thing lights up and you put these on your ears, you're basically blocking out the 
airline engine, the, the aircraft engine, a lot of that noise, and then, you know, the chatter around you, and the baby's crying, and you put these on your head, and you're canceling the noise, and that's the key. You've got to cancel the noise and listen to what you want to hear, right? Now, I, I wear these occasionally around the apartment as well, and there's a downside to this, men, and you need to be aware of this. When your sweet wife calls your name for a, a chore, lovingly, she calls out your name, you got these guys on, you can't hear a thing. That's the downside, right? That's not a plus. That is the downside, but they cancel out even your wife's voice. So they, they cancel out everything. And that, by the way, is not noise. That's a sweet sound, right? So, but that's what they do. Now, what is Elisha doing? Elisha is saying, I need to put on my noise-canceling headphones. I do not want to hear the grumbling, the complaining, the fears of all the people. What I want to do is just stop and meditate in the presence of God. And so he says, bring me a harpist. I want to hear something else. I want to change the tone of things. Let me just talk about the value of, of sometimes just stopping and, and saying, I don't want to hear the noise of the world anymore. I want to hear worshipful music of the Lord. That's what I want to hear. So let me talk about the value of wor worshipful music. Uh, music uh, can do three things, and I'm going to put this up and just show you this on this slide. Music can do three things, at least what I thought of. Music can set a tone for our lives. In other words, it allows us to get away from the noise and the distraction of our world, and we say, here's what I want to listen to. I want to listen to music that glorifies God, that praises God, that, that honors the Lord. It gets me to think about God. Secondly, music can reflect the beauty and glory of our God and his work. So it doesn't always have to be strictly praise or worship music. It's beautiful music. It reflects the glory of God, in my opinion. Third, music can communicate our hearts to God. And so we have these, these great psalms that sometimes say, sing praise to the Lord. In other words, if that's in your heart, you want God to be worshipped, you want him to be praised, then we're told, sing praise to the Lord. Bring your music, your voice before the Lord. I'm going to go, um, this is the, the great Martin Luther, the great reformer. And he has some things to say about music as a, as a gift, as a noble gift from God. And he says this, after theology, I give next place and highest honors to music. Isn't that great? Uh, I'm a theologian, but, but, uh, but yeah, I like what he says. It has often aroused me so that I have won a desire to preach. And so in other words, he hears this music, gets him away from the noise of the world, and he hears this music, brings glory to God, and he thinks, I want to proclaim the glory of God. I want to preach the word of God because he's heard the music. Then he says, we ought not ordain young men to the office of preacher, if they have not trained themselves and practiced singing in the schools. I failed on that part, by the way. Um, I'm glad Luther didn't grade me, because I wouldn't be here. But I think he has a good point. For preachers of the word, 
any preacher of the word that doesn't appreciate the worshipful music that goes on often before we preach, I'm not sure what they're doing. Because it is that music that sometimes gets us away from the noise of the world and refocuses our attention and sets a tone for us so that we might hear the word of God. So I never consider the worship and the music that we play in this church as a preliminary to me speaking. That is not a preliminary. It is an important part of our worship, an important part of our desire to hear God's word, but also to sing his praises. So I notice, as I sometimes do or often do, how quickly you come and whether you get in for the, the music, for the worship. You did a good job tonight, by the way. Keep it up. But come thinking, I'm not just going to come and hear the word of God. I'm going to come and I'm going to listen to the music of the Lord that will bring glory to the Lord and it will set a tone for my heart. In difficult times, what do we need to do? We need to stop. We need to cancel the noise. And we need to listen to God's word. Here's the second point. God makes our big problems look trivial. Look again at verse 15 in chapter 3. I'm going to pick it up and then read through and uh, read through verse 24. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for the offering, the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man, young and old, could hear who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. When they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other now to the plunder, Moab. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. Okay, let's, um, let's talk about the story for just a few moments. So we've got three kings, big problem, right? Big problem, we have traveled seven days into the desert and we don't have any water. Elisha hears from the Lord, and he says, you know, this is, this is not a big deal to God. You've got your whole army there. You've got your livestock. It's a trivial thing. It's a small thing for God. He's going to provide that water for you. He's going to provide the water for the men, the soldiers, 
and also for the livestock. But not only that, that's easy. He's also going to deliver your enemy into your hands. The three kings are asking for just the water. And God says, sure, I'll give you the water, but I'm also going to give you the victory. And we see that great story. And let me just talk about it and give you some images there. So uh, images, just thinking about the image in those desert lands. And I'm going to show you a picture now of a, um, a desert land, perhaps similar to what they're looking at. And again, this is not a place you're going to find a lot of water. And God is what he's going to do is fill those ditches with water. There'll be no wind, there'll be no rain, but the water will flow into those ditches. There'll be plenty of water for everybody. Next day, early in the morning, the Moabites, they go out, and they're looking across the way, and, and the text says the sun is shining. What they see is something a bit deceptive. It looks to them like what? Blood. So I, I've got a picture of here. This is a, a desert with, uh, I think that's algae, but, but no, no matter what, it looks like blood to them. So if you saw this, and you saw that there in the desert, you think there is no wind, there is no rain, there's a lot of liquid there, and it's red. What else would you conclude? These guys must have just fought one another and killed one another. It's a bloody mess. And so we don't need to fight them to the plunder, to the plunder. So when you go to plunder somebody, you don't need a lot of heavy weapons, right? You don't want to fill your pockets with weapons. You just want to go, and you don't go in military order. There is no battle left to battle. You're just going to plunder the place. So what happens? Easy victory for the Israelites, for the king of Judah, for the king of Edom. Easy victory. And God says, I'm going to give you a total victory. And so they get a total victory. Here's what we need to recognize. Something that seemed impossible the day before is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you, you raise three problems, right? Biggest problem in the world, biggest problem in Australia, biggest problem in your life, right? You, you have those in your mind. Something that seemed impossible the day before is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. There's a quote I'm going to give you. It goes like this. When God is going to do something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty. If he's going to do something very wonderful, he begins with an impossibility. Peter tells us this, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So this is where I want to ask the question. We want to get back to the three kings. Joram is not a man of God. He's not a king that honors the Lord. Why does God give him victory? Think about it. It's in the text. Why did God give him victory? Remember, Elisha looks at the king of Israel, and he's not impressed. He says, I'm basic, I wouldn't even give you the time of day except that you are with someone. Who? Jehoshaphat. Who is Jehoshaphat? He's the king of Judah, and he's in the line of David. God's anointed. That's why I will pay attention to you. Look over at verse 14 once again. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, 
I, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. I am not impressed by your royalty, your power. Whatever you think you have doesn't impress me. But you are with Jehoshaphat, and therefore I will go to the Lord. Now, I want to ask this to you and me. Why should God pay any attention to us? Really, seriously, why, why should God pay any attention to us? And the answer, you know the answer, right? Because Jesus, the son of David, stands beside us. He is with us. Now, think about where we have come. Let's go back to uh, scripture, excuse me, Isaiah 53, 6. You familiar with that? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. So we've basically all rebelled against God. We've gone our own way against God. And the Lord, notice, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Somehow, my sins are being put on the one standing with me, Jesus, the one near me. I want to go over to Ephesians chapter 2, and we read this passage, and I'm going to highlight from uh, verses 6 and 7, though, these words, and God raised us up, notice, with Jesus, and seated us with him. Why does God pay any attention to me, the one who is dead in my transgressions and sin, the one who has wandered off like sheep astray? Because now I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. I'm raised up with him. I'm seated with him in heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. Why do we get this kindness? In Christ Jesus. It's an amazing thought. And what we see, even back there in the Old Testament, in this obscure story, we have this evil king who is being treated very graciously because he's with one who's in the line of David. And now we know that fulfillment, that one who is Messiah, that one who is king of kings and lord of lords. And, and why would God pay any attention to us? Because that's who we're with. That's who stands beside us. It is an amazing thing when we think about all of our big problems, all of them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust in him. Here's what we know. God works all things together for good. We know that for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That's where our faith lies. So yeah, the problems are serious. I get it. But when we take our God seriously, and we know that our Lord Jesus Christ stands beside us, there's this amazing peace that passes all understanding. The noise of the world, we don't hear anymore. What we hear are the promises of God. Pray with me. Father, we just want to bring our, our big problems to you. And 
we recognize that in your sight they are trivial. Nothing is too hard for you. Lord, I, I do want to pray for each one in this congregation, those who are watching. They're asking for help, for your grace, for your blessing, for your direction. I pray that you would help us to trust in you. That we would not be overwhelmed, but our faith and trust in you and in our Lord Jesus Christ would prevail. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to go straight into our time of communion. I want to tie in this thought. Who stands with us? Who stands beside us? Who is with us? Well, the one who is with us is our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. We want to be very clear on this. Jesus stands beside us. It is grace. It is a gift. It's not because you've earned his presence is because he comes to us as we put our faith and trust in him. And that's the call for God's people, to trust in the Lord. But if you've never put your trust in the Lord, the call to you today is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the call of God. It's a gift. It is simply by grace through faith you are saved. What the Lord's Supper reminds us of is this, Jesus stands with me. Jesus is beside me. Jesus gives himself to me, and I do not stand on my own merits before God because I have a helper, a friend. And all my iniquity has been laid upon him. All my sins have been laid upon him. If that's your faith, that's your belief right now, Lord's Supper is for you. It's to remind you of grace, to remind you of Jesus' presence with you. Take and eat in remembrance. If you've never put your faith and trust in him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but until you do that, please do not partake of the elements. They are, they are a way that we demonstrate our faith in Christ Jesus, and they are a way that God reminds us of grace. I'm going to ask you to Pray and prepare your hearts for this time. Father, we do thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, that he is the one promised by the great prophet Isaiah, and he is the one who stands with us. He is the one who has taken our sins, our rebellion, he has taken the penalty, the wrath of God for us. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are beside us, with us, in us. We are in you. As we partake of the bread and the cup, Lord, help us to remember grace. As we take of the bread and the cup, I pray that you would keep us from the noise and distraction of world, 
that we would enter into the beauty of our God. God is love. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, we just confess our sins and ask for your grace. In Christ's name, amen. As you know, we'll serve from the front, so those to the side, go to the side in the front if you want to go ahead. The first five, ten rows can stand up and go to your areas. Take the bread and the cup, hold them, and then we'll partake together in just a moment. Go ahead and receive the elements. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who is with us, gives us the bread. He says, this is my body. It's for you. Take in remembrance. Let's take together. The Lamb of God says, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's for you. Jesus, we just want to say once again, we are in awe of who you are. That you would somehow come beside us, stand with us. That you would identify yourself with us in 
Lord, we want to identify ourselves with you. We are your followers, your worshipers. We are the sheep of your pasture. May we worship you in spirit and truth, even as we sing this song of praise. In Christ's name, 